0: Okay, so we are headed right in, and I guess I should probably start this by saying, just when you thought you couldn't get any weirder, (laughs) just when you thought the culture couldn't get any weirder, this last week is one that we will remember for the rest of our lives. Anybody who lived through this, you will remember this and what happened, because this is just, literally the historians and everything else, this is an election unlike any other that we've ever had. They, they literally are saying this is the most unusual, unpredictable, un-everything that we've ever had. Now, I want to make something clear, though. I am not going to talk about whether it was a good thing or a bad thing that had happened or anything like that. I'm not going to talk about the election thing at all. It's just that I want to note something that God's doing, and I'm not going to talk about it for a simple reason. It's not what God gave me to talk about. Right? I'm not really, I don't get to go out, stand up here and say whatever it is I might want to say. And and just to be frank, you'll notice if you follow me on Facebook, and if you don't, please do. But uh, if you follow me on Facebook, I haven't made any comments about it. And I haven't made any comments for a lot of different reasons, and one of which is just, I just think there's a lot of raw nerves right now. And I think that discretion is called for in a moment of a lot of raw nerves, because you want to respect the other person, you want to love them, you want to care for them. And, you know, just sort of rubbing salt in a wound, even if it's inadvertently, is not a good thing. And that doesn't mean that things aren't, you know, it doesn't mean we don't get to talk about this because we do, right? I don't mean necessarily me. If God ever has me do it, I will. If not, I won't. But the bottom line is, is that this is something we're all going to need to talk about. And in a very different vein than we are right now, but this is where we are right now. But like I say, the thing that I want to call attention to is this, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants. He reveals what he's going to do before he does it. He always does that. This church has seen this now for a long time, but let me just go back a little bit with you, 2008, prior to the crash. I'm on my walk, God tells me that discipleship's in the toilet, and that he's going to blow up the church within about a year and a half the financial collapse happens and the finances in the church drop and staffs are staffs are being fired right and left all over the place because churches can't afford their staffs anymore that did not happen at Lake Sam you don't know, want to know why Because before the collapse happened, God told us discipleship was in the toilet. We actually listened to it. We actually responded to it. We did something about it. And we started working on what do you mean and what are you saying? And what he was saying was the pros have become the problem. You've got these professional pastors and they're taking all the weight. They're taking all the ministry. They're taking all the ministry and discipleship opportunities out of the body. And you're putting it into the professional class. And so people aren't growing anymore. Quite the opposite. They're not just not growing, but they're going backwards. So we were already well down the road of doing what a lot of churches had to do because of financial reasons, and we were doing it for a totally different reason, because God had told us what was going to happen. Beginning of 2015, God said, the culture has slipped. I'm going to withdraw my protection in part, in hopes that people will see the consequences of their actions more deeply, and repent. He was trying to get us, he's trying to get us to repent. The stuff that's happening right now, the divisions that you see, he's trying to, he's, there's a level of chaos, there's a lack of protection that has led to a chaos that he's trying to get people to say, what is going on, and start rethinking it and repent. Come back to him, okay? And this is not a right or a left argument whatsoever. The fact is, is both sides have a lot to commend, and both sides have a lot not to commend, Right? There's something else that he's trying to do altogether and that's bring people back to him. And he's not Republican or Democrat. Okay? Now that's that's what so that's what we've been doing. And we've been watching as this has been happening and we've been able to handle it and perceive it and we've been able to see it and adjust to it accordingly. But now something happened about a month ago that when I told you this, I said, I don't know if this is true or not. I'm just telling you I think the Lord said something to me and as I will often do, sometimes I just know it for sure. This is one I wasn't totally sure about so I offered it to you and I said, I'm offering you this word for us to discern if it's actually God or not. And the word goes like this, real simple. If the culture has slipped to the point that God had to withdraw his protection in order to try and bring about repentance, who was supposed to be keeping the culture from slipping? Us, the church. We didn't do it. So a month ago, and this is kinda of one of those duh moments. What he said to me about a month ago, what I, what I offered here was is, if God had to withdraw his protection from the culture, why wouldn't he do that in the church too? Because we have become feckless. You know the word feckless? It's a really good word. You know what it means? ridiculous. What it really really means is ineffectual, but, but the sense and the connotation in the word is you've just become worthless. A salt that has lost its saltiness, a light that is no longer lighting the way, you become feckless, worthless, ridiculous. Now, I love the church. God loves the church a lot more than I do. God loves the church, And that's one of the reasons why he's calling her to repentance by letting us experience things that we didn't know we were doing. I have never, and I would challenge anybody to find me a time in our lifetimes when the church has been so divided over an election. Usually it's kind of evangelicals, right, Republican, and all that kind of stuff. Sure, there's a few people somewhere. Right now, if I'm not going to do this hand thing or anything else like that, but the bottom line is, is there's a large percentage of this church which is very concerned about the election. There's another percentage of this church that feels like God moved and it's a great thing. Even though there's a lot of bad things about that happened. And so do you get the drift? I mean, when has it been so sort of just what the heck? You know what I mean? And that's where the church is, too. And you see what God's doing? He's letting us experience the consequences of our actions. We have done things in a way that were not actually godly. And it has led to something that he's letting us experience so that we will stop, repent, come back to him in a new way. Got it? Do we get this? So what I want to say is is he's doing this. Now, here's the cool thing. I have been intimating with you for seven months. That God, is going, that God is leading us to do something that I'm incredibly excited about. But I haven't been saying anything about it because I just didn't want to sort of put it out there in the ether and let it get shredded and destroyed before it had time to sort of incubate. Before it had time to gestate and start to become something. Now, let me make something very clear. I'm going to talk to you about that thing today, but you all have to make a promise to me right now. In fact, you know, you know in a wedding... What I do is, you know, the, the bride says, you say, do, 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 and the, and the groom says, I do, and then the bride says, I do. Um, and then I do something, and that is, I turn to the congregation, the people that are s- assembled, and I say, you have to understand, they, we need your help too, in order for this union to remain. So if you agree for this, you say we do. So we're about to do a we do moment. And here's the we do that we gotta do. Okay? I am not telling you something that we're gonna implement tomorrow. I'm not even telling you something that we're, we don't even know if we're for sure going to implement it. This is not a work in progress, because that would just, that would mean that we're too far down the road from where we are. This is an idea in progress, and it's simply time to share it with you. So does everybody understand that this is, I am not describing to you what the church is going to do. We do not know if this is what we're going to do. We do not know any of that until we start getting your input too. Because that's how we do things around here. We're a family. We do things together. We work it out. This is how we find God, together. Different perspectives, different generations, different everything. That's how we find him, right? So does everybody agree that, first of all, you will not think that this is some plan I'm trying to roll out and sell you? Does everybody agree to that? Say, we do, if you do. We do. Thank you very much. Does everybody also understand that I need you to be fully engaged in what God is about to say here. Hopefully that's what he says through me. Hopefully that's what's happening here. I need you fully engaged because without you it will not become what it's supposed to be. Do you agree to that? Thank you. This is an important moment. This today and next week, two sermons, important. This is what we're gonna do. Who's our prayer here? Okay. Oh, Scott Chin, what a perfect person to have pray on this week. I'm telling you, this thing, go ahead, as I'm doing this before, this thing that I'm about to talk to you about deals with what's going on in the culture so greatly, so hugely. Scott is one of those, you know, God raises up certain people to do certain things. This is somebody who he's raised up, that, just by God's grace, Perfect person to pray for this. So Scott, would you lift up the sermon that I actually say what God wanted said, that it actually get into people's hearts so that it can grow into what He wants to grow it into, and lift up another church too. Thank you, Scott.
1: We'll do. Let's pray. Father, we come into today uh, desperately wanting to hear from you. Uh, when we reflect back on the week. Um, Lord, it has been an interesting week. But, Lord, the things uh, that I hope are near and dear to our hearts and minds are the things that we know are absolutely true that you are good and that you are able. We come, Lord, uh, today asking that you would speak a mighty word. Thank you. through Curtis to our hearts and our Amen. minds. Lord, we ask that you would plant seeds today. Um, we come, Lord, with a hungerness for truth. And Lord, prepare our hearts to receive it. But also, Lord, prepare our hands and feet. Amen. To have the courage to do what you are calling us to do, whether it is comfortable comfortable. Uh, or whether it is something that we fully understand. But we know, Lord, that you'll bring the clarity and that as you move us, that's the only place we want to be. Amen. Lord, um, as this past week has taught us, um, we really are one global planet. And so my heart, Lord, is for the church um, outside the U.S., Thank all of our brothers and sisters. I think of all of the missionaries we support directly and Thank indirectly. You, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, wherever your name, the good word is preached. Amen. Um, Lord, we um, we enjoy uh, a freedom that seldom do other brothers and sisters do, Lord. So, Lord, we lift up all those today that are sharing your good news. Thank you, Jesus. Um, Lord, I am um, just struck by what you are doing, and Lord, we desperately want to be a part of it. Amen. Speak through Curtis today, in Jesus' name. amen. Amen.
0: I really want you to see by the end of the day how much the Lord is in fact talking exactly about what's going on. It's just that he has got us there a long time ago and he's now bringing solution. Having said that, we need to just drop back for one second because I need to show you something that helps to set the table, okay? Last week in a sermon that was important and if you did not listen to it, let me just highly recommend that you do. It was one of those that you just really need to hear because it affects every single relationship that you're gonna have. And in a world that is fractionalizing, that is splitting apart and all this kind of stuff, What we did is we came and we said, think about your relationship with your spouse, with your coworkers, with your boss, with your neighbors, with your friends, with your family. Think about all your relationships and start doing this with every single relationship in your life, start doing this. And I had everybody write down on Post-its, why do you love that person, Lord? So the first thought, when you ever thought about them, they do something annoying, they do something that you don't like and instead of thinking about what you might say to them or how you might change them or why you would, the first thought you have is, is what do you love about that person Lord and who did you make them to be so that you quit making them in your image and you start being a participant in making them in God's helping them to become God's image Okay, and just in case you can't read my third grade writing there why do you love so and so Lord and who have you made them to be Okay, now I'm going to ask a serious question because I need a real answer, okay? I don't want you to fake it, okay? This, you don't get to do the pollster thing and tell them that you were voting for one, but you were really voting for the other, okay? <laughs> I ask people to fill out five post-its here and then to go paste them up by your workplace, on your computer, on your mirror, on your bedpost, on your door, anywhere you were, so that you'd be constantly reminded to do the Josh Morris thing of training yourself to think this way about other people. to Always be asking the question, what do you love about them? Who'd you make them to be? Now, honest answer. Do not feel bad about if you didn't do this. How many people actually went home and put those Post-its up? Raise your hands. I want you to see, okay? I want you to see. We're talking... What is that? A fifth of the congregation? Now, this was a really good sermon. Lots of people posted Facebooks about it. Lots of people shared it. Lots of people watched it. Everything else. I want us to take note, because it's going to come up later, as to why more people didn't actually do it. Now, having said that, let me say this. Please let this be another reminder to you. Put it in your phone. Okay, put these pulses up. I'm telling you, it's making a huge difference in me. I'm finding myself all the time opportunities to use this in ways that is changing my thoughts and attitudes towards people. So it's quite extraordinary, and it'll really work, okay? Having said that, that's what we did last week, and all of this is about the primary thing that God is about. Remember, the last thing that Jesus said was a prayer for us. last thing that Jesus said before he died was a prayer for us to I pray that they will all be one just as you are, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, that they may be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. This is what we're doing. This is what this church is about, trying to get people to be one with God and one another and do so, so remarkably, so deeply, so much unlike how the world can do it that the world says, what is that about, and comes in to find that same oneness, okay? This is what we are, this is what we're doing. So this is the foundation of what it is that we're doing, and just to really bring it home to you, the writer of that, the person who recorded it, what Jesus prayed, wrote this in a letter that he wrote. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. If someone says, I love God but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Now I'm telling you, there's a lot of that not going on right now, right? There's a lot of unfriending and comments and, and rubbing salt in wounds and, and, and there's a lot of things that are happening inside the church Okay, this is just, uh, okay, this stuff is real. We need to be aware of it. God told us that he was going to do it. We need to be participating in what he's trying to do, and what he's trying to do is get us to a place where we really love, where we're truly in community. So this is what we're doing as a church. This is the background of it. This is the foundation and the floor of it. It comes right from the Lord, okay? Having said that, I do want to note something. It says hates a fellow believer. The word there is brother, it clearly means fellow believer, but it's a word that also plays a little bit further than that. It doesn't just mean the people that are fellow believers, it clearly means that and that primarily that, but do you understand something about God? He so loved the world, even those people who didn't vote the way that you did, even those people who don't agree with the things that you think. He so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So if we want to be God, I don't mean we want to be God. If we want to be God's ambassadors, his instruments in the world, we need to be manifesting this kind of love that asks a question even of somebody, in fact, almost the most of somebody, although it really works with people you're close to too, but almost the most in somebody, who is this person, Lord? What do you love about them? Can you imagine how different the world would be right now if every single person in the culture was asking that question? It would be a totally different place, wouldn't it? So, having said that, that's our foundation, and now I want to do something with you. All of this you guys already got, you already knew it, but I needed to cover the ground. Here's where we're going right now. I want to present to you the problem that we've been working on now for about seven or eight months. Okay? Well, this is the way we've learned to think about it. Here's the problem. Churches try to get people to come in. That's what a church does, right? How do we save people? We try and get them to come to a Sunday morning service. Invite your friends, and they're going to hear a good sermon. They're going to do some good worship. God's going to touch them, and they're going to get saved. Churches try to get people to come in. That's what they do. They're organizations, and that's what they do as an organization. They try and get people to come in to a Sunday morning. What's wrong with that? God told us that we're supposed to go out right? See, it's a duh, isn't it? It's like, well, wait, yeah, okay. You just watch where this goes. But let me just show you what I'm saying right now. Let me just show you what I'm saying, okay? We want to move Lake Sam out to where people live. Did you remember, did, do you remember that last week I said something just in passing almost, and I said, we want to deconstruct that anybody should ever think of Lake Sam as existing in Bellevue. Yeah, they got a building in Bellevue. Now we're not talking about multi-site campuses like a lot of churches do. we're not talking about that at all. I'll show you that in a second. We're not talking about home churches. We're not talking about anything like that. What we are talking about is this: We want to start having people think of Lake Sam as wherever our people are. You are Lake Sam. Wherever you are is where Lake Sam is. This is, Lake, this is where Lake Sam is. And we don't want to just do it you as an island. We want to do it you as a community. So I want you to just think. This is just an example. We have not made any, remember that we do earlier? We've not made any decisions about where these groups are going to be or what they're going to, or anything. We've got some ideas, but we're working on them. You're going to help us get this locked down. But the bottom line is, is we've got an idea of people that live in the north, right? Let's say 522, somewhere up and down, somewhere in that region, right? Right now, we've identified that there's sort of two groups that are in that region, but that are, there's a demographic difference between them enough so that there might, in fact, end up being two groups in this. And by the, by the way, when I say groups, I think we're thinking about maybe like 30 people, so we're not talking about a small group, okay? We're, this is really not about a small group. This is really about, where does Lake Sam exist? And I wanna argue with you that in the north, it's gonna exist in one community that is going to be adults and kids, so that means families, but also singles and so on, okay? And you don't, by the way, you're not locked in, it's not like gonna be like Mormons, where you're in that ward, so you gotta to go to that church, okay? You go wherever you wanna go. We're just saying, these are the groupings, and you'll help us decide this, these are the groupings that seem to make sense, a group of people that are enough in a similar place in life and so on that they can form a community at a different level. Now we gotta be careful because we want intergenerational and so on. So again, see the things we gotta work through? But if there's one group up there with adults and kids and one group up there that's adults, I want you to start thinking for a little while about what the difference in those groups is. That's Lake Sam community there. That's a group of about 30 people that actually get together are actually living life together, actually lifting hands with one another, are actually making a difference in each other's lives and are close. Now let's watch as we walk through what this all means. But let me do show you that there's scriptural warrant for this. Okay? First of all, this is Acts 2, 46. Now remember what this is. Whenever God wants to show you how things are supposed to be and they've never been this way before, what he does is is he touches a group of people and he makes them be what he wants them to be. And then what he does is he says to the next group, now, do you want to be that? I'm not going to touch you. I just want you to choose to be it. If you do, I'll anoint it, and I'll help help it to happen. But you don't have to want this. And I want to make something clear. We've never done the first church since the first church. In fact, we've gotten unbelievably far away from it, and that's why we've become feckless. Because we're not doing what the first church did at all. So here's the first church and what God wanted it to look like. Somebody would ask, Well, are we going to have Sunday morning services? Yes, we are. Right here. Every day they devoted themselves to the meeting given the temple complex. Oh my God, I got to come to church every day? No, don't worry. But they did meet in the temple complex. But remember what I said when I, again when I was saying this? I said, When somebody asks about your church, Here's what most people answer The preaching is great or the worship is great. Now, look what their definition of church is Sunday morning. I want you to tell me whether or not a first century Christian would have had that same answer. Because here's what they did they broke bread from house to house, they ate their food with joyful and humble attitude, praising God every day. Here's what that means. They were living in community with each other. They weren't living in corporate, they were thousands of people. You know what you cannot do? Become close personal friends with thousands of people. You cannot do that, you can't. You know what you can do? Become really close personal friends with people whose house you're eating at every day. Or going to different people's houses and having a group of people. I think when you ask the first century Christians, what, does church, what is church to you? You know what I think they said? It's family. It's a community. Now, I think actually the first thing they said was, I met God, because that's the first thing we want, right? We want them to say, I met God, and I'm growing in him, and that has a lot to do with meeting in the temple and hearing sermons, but it has, as you're going to see in a second here, a lot more to do actually with what's happening in these relationships, where stone is sharpening stone and iron is sharpening iron, where people are interacting with one another. They're becoming part of life. But here's what they're not doing. Well, see what I do for my discipleship is is I go to a small group once on a Wednesday for two hour and 45 minutes, because you know, that's, and we eat a little meal and then we do a little Bible study. Now you can become very close with those people. Don't misunderstand me. You really can, right? But here's what the first century Christians did that they did not. We're gonna be talking about this basic point for two weeks. They were in each other's lives a lot it wasn't just a wednesday night for an hour and a half they were living life with each other and so when you asked them they said i'm growing in god and i've become part of a family i've become part of a, a group of people that are that are lifting my arms and i get to lift theirs you see it they were in each other's lives in these remarkable ways. Eric Lee, during his two great sermons this summer, brought up, this. he, he did the one week where he let everybody talk about it, and then he, said, then he did a word picture, right? He pulled out the words that were used most often. This is what it was. Look, at. I, I, I was so thankful to God when I saw this, because the word that came up most often was family, and supportive was right behind it. Loving. But look, it grows pretty big, mentoring. See what I mean? This thing that we're talking about. There's something about life on life that is happening here that is really important and it's really working. But here's the deal. I'm telling you, the Lord has given us an idea to put this thing on steroids by doing this. Here's the deal. How close can you get to somebody if you see them on Sunday morning? Even if we do a 15-minute connect time. How close can you get? You do get closer, so that's why we do it. Okay? But the bottom line is, is you're not going to get close. You're not going to get close until you sort of whittle it down into a reasonable number of people in a reasonably intimate setting to where you can actually start sharing and being who you really are, and you can start caring and being. Think about it this way. I don't know how many meetings I have, and I don't know how many meetings you have, but can anybody here say that you got at least 10 meetings every single week How many people would say, yeah, I got about 10 meetings, raise your hands, I got at least 10 meetings every single week. Now, of those 10 meetings, they're important, you may like them, a lot of good comes out of them and everything else, but of all the people that said you have at least 10 meetings, how many times, when when one of those meetings cancels, aren't you like me and you say, oh good, God gave me a time machine and I just got more time. Your reaction to a meeting canceling is not, oh rat. Maybe you had to do something. We get it. We get that meetings have to happen. But nobody's, nobody, no, very few people are going, oh shoot, I really wanted to go to that meeting. There is one meeting in my life, though, that I love and I hate missing. My threefold. My threefold is a meeting. It's not about a meeting. <laughs> it's not a meeting at all. It's four people that are crazy about each other, that love each other, that have given their lives to each other. And we talk about technology or sports or politics or whatever, and then we talk about our lives, and then we pray for each other. And the bottom line is, if you're, not a three, if you're in this church and you've been going here and you're not in a threefold yet, you are missing the most important thing that this church does. By far. Much better than sermons or worship or anything else. You're missing this relational element that God does. In fact, let's, let's hit this. Community groups, the first thing they are is relationships first and foremost. I understand if there's 30 people, this is why we're kind of working on the number, if there's 12 people you know, and five don't show up, then there's seven and then somebody else shows up, it's just awkward. You know what I mean? It's just weird. Okay, so all right, but if most people I don't know, you know, but so we're not we're not it's not a small group. But but if you got like seventy-five people in a group, you would never it'd be hard to get close to them too, right? You might be really close with your threefold partners, you might be really close with somebody else that you did some stuff with, but do you catch the drift? We're trying to find, I think each group might have its own magic number. I don't think it's specific to, I think it has a lot to do with age and stage of life and so on as to what's the right size, but we're going to try and find the right size where it's two things, where there's enough people in there to where there's a, there's, a, there's a range of giftings that allow the body to work in an intimate setting in the fullness of Christ. Can I repeat that? I don't think I can Let's see. There's a range of gifting in there. And then I can't remember. But there's a range of gifts in there to where the fullness of the body, the fullness of Christ is being manifested in your life. That's going to make you want to be in that group. Right? And that isn't just a few people. That's a little larger group. But we don't want so many that your gift isn't necessary anymore. Critical. See what I mean? We need to keep it at a size to where if you're gone, it's a problem. Not to make you guilt and shame, but it's just that you bring something that's vital. You're a part of this community. And when you're, the, when you're not there, there's something missing from the community. And that'll happen because of travel and all kinds. But you get the drift. It's not like a, a guilt thing, but it is a thing of I'm part of a community and my contribution is critically important to that community and to the health of that community. Do you see it? See what we're trying to do? We're trying to get it to where it actually is iron sharpening iron, to where something's happening. Now, I want you to see something. When we talk about these groups, we don't know. You know, are we gonna do them like every Sunday? We have no idea. I think, again, it'll be group dependent. The group will decide what the group needs to do. That's the heart of it. But some of the things that we're working through is, is, how do they, if they become all about ministry, if they be, like, you know, if they become all about submission that they're doing, if they become all about something else, you're missing the thing that matters the most. The reason why I go to my threefold, there is ministry that happens there, but that's not why I go. I go because I'm in love with the people that are there, and I like being with them because God made us social beings to be with one another. And from the garden where He was walking with us in the cool of the day, which is the way that He made us to be with us, from Uh, Jesus saying this right before he leaves I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him for he dwells with you and he'll be in you I will not leave you as orphans do you see what the emphasis that he's putting on here when we read this we always read helper the Holy Spirit is going to help us but I want you to see where the real emphasis is I will never leave you nor forsake you. I like you. I like hanging out with you. I want to be with you. That's why I made you. So we're going to be together. Are we seeing it? In fact, he says, nonetheless, I tell you the truth it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. So are we... Are we seeing how important this, you know, from the, from the garden where we walk with him to heaven where we live in him? Are we seeing that what God prioritizes is relationship? So these groups will prioritize relationship however we have to do that. However we can figure out how to do that best. These groups will be relational. Now, out of those relationships will come certain things. So we say ministry. It's going to come from what that community needs. Let me give you, let me give you two examples. One. Uh, Josh Morris are you here? I saw you a second ago but are you with your kids? Josh how far do you drive to get to your threefold? Okay okay but at one point in time weren't you driving through traffic even? Oh it was in the evening. Okay after traffic. Okay so but what I want you to see is, is he's driving 20 minutes to be in a threefold. Now that's awesome. But you know what's really hard in a threefold that's 20 minutes away, and he should never leave that threefold. It's an awesome one. And he's in their life, and they're in his life, and they do this. But you know what's really hard to do? Get together on a whim serendipitously. When you live 20 minutes away from somebody in Seattle, and it's 530, you may as well be on another planet. (laughs) Right? But not if you live in the same community. Not if your threefold is not coming out of Bellevue, the church in Bellevue, but it's coming out of Lake Sam in Bothell. They live right by you. And hey, you know what? Let's get together. Go have a beer. Let's get together and talk about it. Hey, you know what? Something came up. I need to talk to you. Hey, let's go. There's, there's an event happening. Let's go together. You see it? People getting together because they live close to each other. It's easier, right? In a commuter world, we actually don't end up Close. It's, oxy, it's, right, tautological, but anyway. The point is, as ministry comes out, so that's threefolds. Here's another one. Women's Bible studies. We do great women's Bible studies here. Great ones. But, but just think about how hard it is to do a women's Bible study at 5.30 or 6 o'clock on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night. Because 405 is a wall. How are you gonna get here? Right? But let's do this. Now watch this. If there's two groups in Bothell or up that way, if there's a group that's, that's got s- most of the women in there are moms or that age and, they're, and kids, and then there's another group, the, the moms with kids, what kind of Bible study do they need? What kind of Bible study do they want that's really going to help them the most? A mops kind of group, right? What would you say? Rest. Rest. <laughs> Nap time. Nap time for moms. <laughs> well, awesome. There you go. <laughs> See, the group decides what kind of study. But the one, that, the one that doesn't have kids anymore, they may find a Beth Moore study or, or maybe, um, what's the one that you do a whole lot of study on? Well, community Bible studies do this too, but what's the other one? Pre- precepts. Yeah, they can do a precepts kind of thing because there's extra time and they're in that place of, of life where they want to do this and dig in because they, the other ones want to do it too, but they're just too busy. You see what I'm saying? So instead of having one size fits all in Bellevue, we go to a community and we say, what works for this community? What's the need here? What's the actual thing here? And it's, it's in a size and in a way that works, Okay. Are you getting the idea here? Are you gonna, you're going to have the ability to ask some questions here in a moment. But let's go to the last one, outreach. I've always said I think the most effective evangelism tool in America today is the sideline of a soccer field. It's where you meet people that don't know the Lord. If you're a nice person and you're not yelling at the coach all the time, they want to know why. plenty of Christians yell at the coach too unfortunately but nonetheless but if you're a nice person and there's something you know there's something about you and so on and then people get to know you and you start to be friends and you get to be friends with somebody and and then at some point in time they find out you're a Christian they say where do you go to church here's what your answers could not should not be three cities away because right then they just go well that's not going to work but what if you were able to say this? Well, we do a thing that's important on Sunday morning and, and, and that's, you know, that's what you might think of as church. But that's not what we think of as church. What we think of as church is a bunch of people that are getting together and really living life together. And we're doing one on Sunday night and it's two minutes from the soccer field and it's a backyard and it's gonna be a barbecue and bring your kids and let's have some fun. And now all of a sudden that person's coming over to this group of people that are good people and they're learning and they're growing and they're, they're, you know, it's clear that God has built relationships with them that are deeper than just friendships. That there's some real connections going on in here. Do you think that that might actually bring more people to the Lord than trying to get them into this building on a Sunday morning? Do you think? Because I do. And that's not the reason why we're doing it. We're doing it for relationships. We're doing it actually for another reason altogether, but I want you to see some of the benefits of it, some of the ideas behind it. As this is, thing is gestating and as it's growing, this is the spirit and the heart of it. I'm just going to end it with this. I want you to see some. This is a whole other idea now. But the more that we've worked on this, the more the Lord has been bringing home something to me. You may have heard me say, the era of the talking head is dead. And what I mean by that is, how many people raise their hands that they put up post it notes? I'm not, no condemnation, but there's something happening where we're able to hear a sermon, think that it's important, they can even make a difference, and somehow it doesn't make it outside these walls. What's happening there? I'll tell you what's happening cognitive dissonance. Some of you heard this sermon, but let me show you something. I'm going to do it quickly. How to disciple in an age of cognitive dissonance. Understand something. The kind of knowledge that we're supposed to be building in our lives is called crystallized knowledge. That's what the the people that study these things and work on these things call it. Here's what this is. When a baby is born, it starts gathering information. This person hugs me and it feels good. This person feeds me and I like that. This thing doesn't work for me. I don't like it when my diaper and I don't, you know, and see what I mean? What they like and they don't like it. What they're doing is they're gathering experiences and information and they're putting it in their brain. And then what their brain is doing is it's starting to architect a crystallized knowledge about the world, how it works, what's good and what's bad so that they can draw inferences, so they can be more protective of themselves, so that they can go after things that they like more. There's all kinds of reasons for it, but the knowledge is supposed to crystallize. And then over time, it's not supposed to become rigid. It's supposed to be as new information comes that challenges the superstructure of how the world works, that you're open to the new information, and you can incorporate it and change the nature of the crystallized knowledge. But in the end, what crystallized knowledge is, is the framework, the glasses through which you see the world and understand it and interact with it. That's what crystallized knowledge is. But here's what's happening in the world today. And this is, the neurologist, we don't have any comparison of this in times past. There's never been anything like this. What's happening is cognitive dissonance. Now, cognitive dissonance is simply this. I'm receiving a fact over here, and it has its own principles and understanding and stuff. You know, it has its own reasons and so on. And then I receive something over here that has its own reasons and reality and everything connected to it. Now it turns out that this one and this one, in some fundamental fashion, are completely opposed to one another. And so what I'm supposed to be feeling is cognitive dissonance. We're gonna get at that in one second. But what's happening in the world is, and what they're saying is, is because of smartphones, because of computers, because of notifications on your watch, on your, you know, pretty soon in front of your eyes because of the glasses that you're wearing. These notifications are continually coming in and they're interrupting what the brain is trying to do to assimilate knowledge and to crystallize it. To work through where it might be contradictory and what it is. And you never become mature nor wise if you never crystallize knowledge because you're always just a set of incongruent facts. Do you see it? In fact, let me just show you this little New Yorker cartoon because I think I just love it. But, here's what it is. It's, it's a guy and he's got a dog flea collar on. And can you see what he says? I find it helps me keep from looking at my phone every two seconds. <laughs> right? This is literally an addictive behavior. You literally get a little flush of hormones, of brain chemicals, pheromones and so on, that make you feel a certain way when you look at that thing because you get a little bit of information. And what's happening is we are so information overloaded now, we're so interrupted and everything else, that we are having cognitive dissonance. But here's the key to it. Now watch this. In psychology, cognitive dissonance is the mental stress or discomfort experienced by an individual who holds two or more contradicting beliefs, ideas, or values at the same time. Cognitive dissonance, if emphasis is on dissonance, means there's two things that are at odds with one another, and you're aware that they're at odds with one another, and you don't know how to resolve them. But here's what's happening now. We're just becoming cognitively dissonant, period. Or cognitive, whatever you would call it. We don't know. We're not experiencing mental stress anymore. Because we just have this idea that exists over here in its world, and this idea that exists over here in its world, and this over here, and this over here. And and we're not feeling any stress at all because we hold all kinds of things in our head that are completely contradictory to one another, but that's what we do. When I was just talking about this the first time, I brought up the example, because it was happening at the time, of the the dentist who shot the lion in Africa. And I, I brought up as an example of cognitive dissonance the fact that there were so many people that wanted to kill the dentist because he killed a lion. That's a cognitively dissonant thought. See what I mean? You don't kill a person because they killed a lion. You may do something else to them because you didn't like what they did, but but that's a cognitively dissonant thought. And yet, all kinds of people held on to this and nobody thought it was a problem. Of course you do that. Of course same-sex marriage exists over here. Of course the Bible says this over here. What do they have to do with each other? Of course, Kirk can say a sermon, and it can be really important, but it just goes into its own little bubble of, wow, that was such a great sermon, and this is so wonderful, and so on. But it's not connecting with the other things in changing behavior. Do you see it? This is what's happening. It's not me saying this. This is the people that research this stuff, and they're saying, we don't know what to do with this, because this is happening. So the question becomes then how do you disciple in an age of cognitive dissonance? I don't think the sermons are going to do it anymore, do you? You know what does do it? A threefold. That's what does it. The thing that God, you know, has been trying to do with us all along from the garden to heaven. Be in relationship with somebody. Here's how it works. You have two cognitive dissonant ideas, and you're sitting there with people that you love, that love you. They've been important in your life. There's something that happens that, that highlights this dissonance. And then they say, you do realize that those two things are contradictory, don't you? <laughs> you do realize there's a problem here, right? And you work through it together in a loving atmosphere of people who are in each other's lives. In a real, meaningful, and ongoing daily manner I'm not talking about some weirdness forcing you what I'm talking about is it's somebody that you love and you're so connected to that they can help stone to sharpen stone and iron to sharpen iron this is what God is trying to do and I want to say something I do believe it's the only thing that will disciple effectively in this day and age I think everything else will have marginal effects This relational discipleship, this is the one. This is the one that's going to change lives. So here's what Lake Sam's going to do. We're going to practice relational discipleship. You know, the one that God came up with. The one that he does when he put the Holy Spirit inside of us. We're going to get into relationship with one another in levels that are deeper, that are richer, that are more blessing, that are more fun, that are more everything, and we're going to let God do then what he does when people actually start becoming one with one another. Make sense? That's what we're gonna do. Right now, I'm gonna bring, Julie, are you here? I wanna do something here. Just a a quick Q and A as she comes forward. Does anybody have any questions about this? Did I do good? Did I explain it enough? Does anybody have any questions about it? You know, I, I expect somebody to raise their hand and say, are we not gonna do Sunday church anymore? Okay, but yes, we are doing Sunday church. Are there any questions on this? It's actually, did I do Anybody? well for this? Yes, thank you very much, honey. <laughs> yes, Rich. Okay, uh, first of all, if there, I take exception to the fact that you have the no mental stress whatsoever, whatever, if you're trying to resolve everything, they just kind of stack on each other. And- what are you talking about? Help me out, help me out, Rich, I'm not following yeah Yes. But you could also have two things that are not related. Also, they both, they both hit the cube. Can I say something, Rich? You, like I say, I lust after your mind. I'm sorry to say that to everybody else here. <laughs> But you have, a, you have the most remarkable mind almost of anybody I've ever met. I don't have a clue. I, I think you're going into an esoteric area of what we're talking about. So rather than go into theory right now, I'm trying to ask Q&A about just the group. So I just want to say, if, you, if you're hitting a question about the groups and what the groups are going to be, great. If you're talking about the theory of cognitive dissonance, can you and I talk about that privately and then you can get me corrected? And then I'd be happy to correct that in front of everybody. Can we do that? Okay, go ahead. All right, right here. Thank you. There's a, it's a really good point, and here's the truth. We're not forcing anybody to do anything. Like, you guys have a remarkably good home group. The likelihood is you'll probably keep doing what you're doing. There'll be a lot of principles and so on that we'll be doing in there, and there'll be an opportunity. There's, we're, we've sort of been back-burnering small groups for a little while now, and the reason why is because we felt like small groups were sort of we felt like threefolds were sort of small groups on steroids, and we felt like God wanted a slightly larger gathering than what's in a typical small group. And and when I say slightly larger, again, we don't know what the number is, but we want but it feels like it needs to be community in that little larger sense than what small group would incorporate. Does that make sense? So so that would be the difference. Again, we're not forcing anybody, Caleb. Hey, I have a mic. Um, so it repeats so that everybody can hear me. Um, what I am hearing you say is that we should create groups based on the demographics of the people around East Side. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Um, so how would that bring the congregation as a whole together because what yeah. I am hearing yeah. is cre- it's, it would yeah. create more clicks. And I've I, I, seen that in other groups. It doesn't work. It drives the group Caleb, apart. Caleb, I've got, I've got the most perfect answer for you. When we go to Eric, your dad's word picture, and family is the one that's in the middle, you know why people say family? Threefolds. If we weren't doing threefolds, we might talk about family as much as you want, but people wouldn't be feeling family. The reason why people feel it's family in here is not because they know everybody in here. It's because they know a few people in here really well, like better than they know their family. So what this is, is this is a bridge between, this is a step between the intimacy of threefolds, which will always be the most fundamental level, and the and the corporate gathering, which is Sunday morning, all of us together. This is a group. This is an attempt to find a space in the middle of that that small groups have typically taken, but that we think is going to be better served overall with all of the things we're thinking about, evangelism and everything else, if we do this in a slightly larger fashion than what small groups typically are. Okay? Now, I, I, we, need, we do need to get to something else entirely that we're going to do. So if there's any other big questions, let me know. Okay, go ahead, D. You started this out by saying this is an idea. You ended it by saying this is what we're going to do. Yeah, I did that in my sermon run-throughs. I kept saying this is an idea that we're working through with the Lord about whether or not how we should do it. But I kept saying this is what we're going to do. And it feels like that to me. It feels like we're going to do that, but I, but I said we do too. Okay, meaning that I don't know that none of this is written in stone yet. Okay. Right now I'm announcing it to you. I'm rolling it out. I want everybody to think about it, to do that kind of stuff. I think I need to, I need to move on. I want to show you something. Because of what we've been working on for this time, we look, yeah, excellent point, Dee. And and so, all right. But here's the deal. So what we did was, is when we were looking at the Christmas party, we were thinking, do we go on another boat? Do we go ice skating? Do we have a hoedown? What do we do? And then all of a sudden we thought, well, what if, what if we actually did a version of this? So these groups I'm about to show you for the parties are not what we're thinking the regional groups will be. They are not that. But they are groupings that have to do with how to have four really good parties with people in your region. How many people were here when we did the last Meet the Pastors? Raise your hands if you were. Meet your peeps, meet your peeps. excuse me, meet your peeps. We did a Meet the Peeps where people went into other rooms and here's what happened. When people went into the rooms to meet their peeps and we did it by regions, People went, where do you live? I didn't know you lived close to me. And we've literally found one person, that the person lived across the back fence, two houses down. So what we want to do here, after Julie gets done, what we want to do is, is we want to get together in groups and rooms to just sort of see who's in this area, who's in this basic grouping. But I, but I do want you to see this map. You got an invitation already? and you got this map. Hopefully you got this in the mail already. Be sure and open it all the way up at bottom line. When you see this, and you can see four different colors there, these are four different groups, go ahead. I think this is my area. Does